Well, how many of you have done something brave as a result of this sermon series? Well, a couple. I guess I'm I'm changing the world one person at a time. (laughs) Anybody have a, a, you had a brave conversation or you, um, you showed, uh, you know, one of the scariest things is to show affection for some people. It's just very scary, very frightening. You might get rejected or, or you, might, uh, you might send some things out of control. They, they'll think that you think they're perfect. And that would be tragic, right? So anyway, uh, I, maybe after today you, you'll try something brave. Because what this, what this series is about, it's about doing brave things to redeem something or someone else, to redeem others. And it may not be to redeeming them from death, like Esther, our hero in this story, and Mordecai. It's not like, you know, they, re- they actually rescued a whole population who were scheduled for genocide. That's a pretty big thing to do. You'll probably never get that, that opportunity. I hope you don't get that opportunity to do that, because that's a really scary thing. But it's, you might redeem someone from loneliness. You might redeem someone from purposelessness in their life. You might redeem someone from poverty because you offer them a job. Uh, There's all kinds of ways that you can redeem people that require an act of courage, that require you to be brave in going forward. You might redeem someone from feeling condemned and hopeless because you are brave enough to give them forgiveness. Those are scary things, and so don't limit your, your bravery to doing the big thing. Okay, do the little things. Let's read Esther chapter 4, verse 16. I hope to get done pretty timely today because I know uh, this is a Memorial Day weekend. You probably have things planned, and I hope you do go and have a wonderful time uh, at what you've planned. Esther chapter 4, verse 16. And if, if you need some more historical background, listen to the previous two podcasts, uh, and you'll get a little more historical background. Of course, as you well, it'd be a good idea. You can read the book of Esther in one setting. So go read the book right quickly, and uh, you'll get the historic, more of the historical background. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. This is Esther talking, Queen Esther. And she's heard about the plot to kill all the Jews by this evil guy named Haman. And so she sends the word out, go together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. So she's going to go to King Xerxes, and she's going to appeal to her people not to be uh, annihilated. Even though it is against the law. She says, against the law for me to go. And, and, and Xerxes was a despot, which meant he would have thought nothing about uh, uh, taking her life uh, if she had gotten out of line. And she, she even, the reason she became queen is because Vashti, the previous queen, had not been cooperative when he wanted her to come and he was having a wild party and he wanted to come and have everyone behold her beauty and she refused to come to that event and he, she was deposed as queen. I don't know what bad life she lived after that, but I'm sure it wasn't good. So th- these people were not merciful. It was not a happy marriage. It wasn't anything like that. But she says this, and here's what I want you to hear. I will go to the king even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That's the sentence I want you to focus on today. If I perish, I perish. And I want to talk to you about what that puts into motion. 
what in the world of the divine, of the supernatural, of God, gets put into motion when I am able to say, if I perish, I perish, if something is worth fighting for and dying for. I like the word catalyst. It's a catalyst action. Catalyst means a substance that starts or speeds up a chemical reaction while undergoing no permanent change in itself. So that's what we're going to talk about. What manifested bravery sets into motion? I say you have no idea what might happen if you'll simply have the courage to speak up, act, identify, or love courageously. Now, I want to jump right into this. In number one, I want to talk about the importance of our circumstances. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. 14 this is Mordecai, uh, her uncle who is in, uh, at the king's gate, who says to her, he sends her this message when she's contemplating whether, because she has not stepped up yet. She's not been brave up to this point. She's gone along to get along. She had not identified that she was even a Jew. And so he says to this to her, who knows that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this? In other words, your circumstances in life, who knows, but that God has ordained the circumstances of your life for this particular time when you would be called upon to do something courageous and brave that would save the nation. Now, she could have been thinking, I should have stood up way before now. I shouldn't be in this position. I shouldn't have let myself get put in this position. I should have stood up way back in the beginning when I got called in with all the other young ladies and, and, and I was chosen out of all the other young ladies. I should have stood up and said, no, no, stop it. I can't do this. But think about that for a minute. And that, that's what some of you are probably doing right now. You prob- some of us have probably made decisions and gone places and we're, we're thinking, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be in this circumstance. I shouldn't have let, I shouldn't have let them move in. I, I shouldn't have married them. I, I shouldn't have left my old job and taken this new one. I, I shouldn't have let my kids start hanging out with those guys. I shouldn't have taken my kid out of that school and put him in this other one. I, I shouldn't have stayed quiet while my company began to act unethically. I, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have held my peace when I saw harassment happening in my office by the boss. I shouldn't have ignored it. I got, I got two words for you. Stop it. Stop it. Esther had compromised, yes, probably so. She was doing all of many things a good Jewish girl didn't do. But when it came time for her to, her to stand up, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter at this point how you got where you are. God can do it. You can get there from here. You can get there from here. God can begin to work in your life today. I don't care what you have done to get where you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be doing this and all that kind of stuff. I want you to know what the Bible says. The Bible says, and this is a powerful verse, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is that? What, did you hear that? Now faith. Now faith. Not yesterday, not future. Now faith. 
Faith is always operates in the now. No matter what your now looks like, and no matter how much blame you may have for being in the now, it doesn't matter because God always works from the now. Amen? When, when mankind fell from grace and sin, the Bible calls Jesus the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world because God was always ready for an emergency. God was always ready to deal with my sin. That's grace. God has a plan for you right now in your royal position in the palace. As I began to approach my 60th birthday a while back, which has been a while back now, um, probably, back, probably like a lot of folks, I begin to think through my life and I begin to think, I wish I'd done this and I wish I'd done that. And I wish I'd learned more about the leadership in certain areas and I, I wish I'd uh, been different in some of my key relationships. And, and for a while, I, st I started to do a lot of hand-wringing about that. You know, I just, I really did. I did a lot of hand-wringing. I just, you know, I, I feel like I'm not where I ought to be. I'm not who I should be. And I don't know, it didn't happen like in one day or one moment. It was over a period of time that I began to look over my shoulder at these millennials and generation wires. And I, I have so much admiration for them. And, and we have many here in this church. And today, if you're a visitor here today, I'm not, I'm not being defensive. And we're really a big church. I'm not saying that. But we do have a lot of people absent today. <laughs> between Jeff Dorn's 25th and people traveling. So we have a lot more that aren't here today. But really, really terrific young men and young women who, who are part of our, our lives, not, not, only, not only in this church, but outside of the church. I have these relationships with these young men and, 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 and young people. Uh, it, many of them are in our denomination, our church denomination, that, that I feel like I have a good rapport with them. And I feel like, they listen to me. And I got to thinking about that. And then it's like the Lord said to me, Phil, I need a 60-year-old guy. I need you now. I need you to step up and be better than you've ever been. I need you to be more diligent. I need you to start today being who you know you were meant to be. And boy, that has been the most powerful motivation. And I had... When I started thinking about it, I didn't know I was going to go through this whole cancer battle and all that stuff, but that seems to be a part of God's plan too, because I learned so much through that. To be, you know, what, what I'm saying, God has brought me to this position where I am for such a time as this. It's now at Bethany Community Church. It's now in Menden. It's now in my life. God is always in the now. Amen. No matter your position in life, God wants to use you in that position to identify with and support the mission of your Mordecai. Think about that. You have a Mordecai out there, and you have the people of God out there. And I want you to think about this. Those of you who have, and, and most of you have some sort of a job or career out there, I want you to think about that and think about how much God wants to use you from that position. How much God wants to use you. That God wants to use people in law, in medicine, in the building trades, 
in the food and beverage business to serve his purpose, his purpose of biblical justice in the world, his purpose of gospel awareness in the world, his purpose of financial support for the church and the progress of the family of God. That's the Mordecai. The church is the Mordecai. And where you're going to go on Tuesday morning to, to resume your career is your palace. That's your royal position. And God wants Mordecai and the palace to work together to do something amazing in the culture. Somebody say amen. You see how important it is for believers to be everywhere? For We're the salt of the earth, not the salt of the church. We're the light of the world, not the light of the sanctuary. For many of you, work your work is taking you to places and influence in the culture, you are very well positioned. Man, I, it, it happens all the time. It's really, uh, I, I, I'm still uh, kind of living in the past sometimes. So I, when I text somebody and, and, you know, one of the people in the church and, and they'll say, well, I can't come over by today. I'm in Paris. I'm, I'm in Beijing, you know. Uh, uh, w- w- one day I got a hold of a, a guy and he was in Saudi Arabia. He was, he was uh, actually, it's uh, Brandon Henderson. He's, uh, he's Secret Service, and he was over there protecting President Obama. So, I, that's a whole different world. That's a whole different world than the one I grew up in. Like, we, we had people who lived in McKinney who never went to Farmersville, <laughs> which was 16 miles away. And they certainly never went to Dallas. I mean, that was too scary to go to Dallas. And here, I'm pastoring people today that are in Beijing and Paris and all over the world every week. It, it, you, know, you know, it's really interesting. What's really interesting, and, and we don't think about this because we get very, I get very church-centric and very pastor-centric. But you know, most of the heroes of the faith were not preachers or prophets or priests. They were farmers, fishermen, politicians, businessmen. Two books of the Bible, uh, two books of the Bible were dead. Two whole books of the Bible were dedicated to people uh, that were not uh, prophets or, or, or preachers. And one was the Book of Nehemiah. He was a, he was a city and urban planner. And then we have Esther, who who was a, a queen of of Babylon. So I want to ask you today, I want to ask those of you who have those awesome careers and God has so blessed you with, with that great sense of privilege. Are you using your royal, royal position in the palace just, and, and there's nothing wrong with prospering. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a capitalist, man. I'm, I'm okay with you prospering. I'm okay with you, you, you growing your portfolio. I'm okay with you growing your finances. But are you using your royal position in the palace just to feather your own nest, just to affirm your own identity? Do you have the courage to let your Christian ethics and your Christ-likeness guide your steps in the office, in the corporate structure that you work within, in the business that you run? If you're not you're not using your royal, you're, you're, you're using your royal position and you're not serving in your royal position. God is calling you to serve in your royal position. Tom Keller tells this 
story about a woman showing up at his church. And uh, this woman, uh, he happened to get in a conversation with her. And he asked her what caused her to come to Redeemer Church in Manhattan. And she said, the reason I'm here today is because I made a very big mistake. I made a really bad decision at work. A decision that should have cost me my job and probably even my whole career. It was so bad. And she said, my boss found out about it. And he went in to his boss and totally took the blame for what I did. Totally took the blame. Even though yet in technically, I guess you know how it is if you're the boss and someone does something underneath you, and technically, I guess you are to blame in a way. But he, it, all he had to do was say, she did such and such, and he, she said, my career would have been over. At least my job, probably my career. She said, so I went to him, and I said, why did you do that? And, and he was kind of a typical guy, you know. Oh, well, don't, don't talk about it. It's nothing. And because she's a typical woman. <laughs> so she said, I want to know why you did that. And he said, well, here's why. I'm a Christian. And Jesus Christ took the blame for me. And that's why I am comfortable to take the blame for others. And so I wanted to go to the church that that man went to. And I'm here today. That is bravery. That is redeeming the world in your royal position. Don't waste your career on just making money. Don't waste your career on just building your own self-esteem. You know, we have huge self-esteem attached to our titles at work. We have huge self-esteem attached to what we do. It's one of the first things we want to know when we meet somebody. What do you do? What do you do for a living? And then we, if we're not careful, we judge them according to what they tell us they do for a living. If they're the, an officer in a corporation, that puts us in a different, we know they're a part of the, a different hierarchy than the person who's, the custodian. That's fine. I believe God puts you in the royal palace. I believe God put you there. I believe God put you at the owner, owner of that company. I believe God put you there. All over this room, there are people who have all kinds of uh, clout in all kinds of positions. God doesn't have a problem with you having clout. God doesn't have a problem with you having authority, with you having prosperity. God, But are you redemptive with it? That's the question. Secondly, I want to talk to you about the power of small gestures. Esther chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king, now this is the bravery part. The king was sitting on the royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that she was in. That was good. That was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What I want to point out to you here is that seldom bravery and courage is seldom overly dramatic or grandiose. It's simple. Some, it's the simple, small gesture. I say that your world is a few small gestures 
from being heaven on earth or hell on earth. Mordecai stood instead of bowing to Haman. That's all he did. Just That's all he did. Just, just stood. How many of you could handle that? If I said, stand up, you, yeah, you could stand Unless you have physical disability, you could stand up. See, the things God's asking us to do are very simple things. Things that anybody can handle. Esther took a walk. She just took a walk to the inner court of the palace. See, there's two kinds of fear. There's the fear of the objective fear of loss, I would call it. It's that legitimate fear of Esther that she could actually lose her life. Once in a while, we face that kind of fear in life, that something could literally kill us, but most of the time not. The second kind of fear is what I call a subjective fear. I, I don't know how else to say it, but a subjective fear of self-consciousness. It's associated with what will other people think of me? Or what am I getting myself into? And, and we, I have those inner conversations all the time before I make that phone call. What is that person going to think? And I have to wrestle with myself. But a phone call can change your world. A phone call. Let me give you an example. In, as, as you know, 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit. And we've talked about it many times here. And we talked about this story. If you're, if you're new here, you may not have heard it. But um, we got the news that the hurricane had hit. And we got a, I, got, I got an email from a pastor in Lafayette, Louisiana, saying 40,000 people have come to our, our town. Red Cross, United Way said, you're on your own. We can't help you. So it's just the churches in town trying to take care of 40,000 people. And my heart broke. I, I got to do something. But what can I do? You know, what, what, what the heck could I do? And the thought came to me, call Charlie Wharton. Now, Charlie, I don't know if Charlie would hear this, uh, but I don't mind if he hears it. If he, wants to, if he hears it, that's fine. Charlie's not around here anymore, as far as I know. But Charlie was a truck driver with Mayflower in Franklin. But, and I don't mind Charlie hearing me say this, if he's out there and he hears about that I said this, it's okay. I knew that Charlie was sensitive. Charlie had a lot of ability. He was always helping. He, he was a strong guy. He, I mean, this guy could carry a refrigerator on his back down the stairs. I mean, he was something else. But he was sensitive about people using him. He was sensitive about people and I've encountered this many times as pastor because pastors, we are like the biggest beggars that God ever created, man. We're, <laughs> we're always calling people, can you help me? Because we're running a volunteer organization and, and we don't have the massive budget that corporations have. And so we're always trying to get things done by begging <laughs> and getting people to do stuff and imposing on people. You know, it's just part of... It's part of it, but I don't, I never really liked to do it. And I didn't really, and I, and I, I thought, boy, could I really ask Charlie to, to take a truck to Lafayette, Louisiana? And I, you know, th that's a little bit of fear. How many of you, I know that sounds like a silly illustration for some of you, but how many of you have let that little bit of fear keep you from doing something great for God? Because you didn't want to make somebody uncomfortable. You didn't want to be uncomfortable. That's it. You didn't want to be uncomfortable. And you, you wanted them to think of you in a certain way so you wouldn't make the call. But I kept thinking of 40,000 people living in the forest 
without even a can opener to open a can of beans and no clothes. And I called Charlie. And, I'm, and I, I want to show you what I said in the beginning of the sermon is when you do things, the smallest act of bravery sets in motion the supernatural power of God to do things that are beyond your ability to even imagine. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Charlie said, yes, I can get a truck. He had a truck here the next day. That was Tuesday. Truck here on Wednesday. It was overloaded, 10,000 pounds overweight by Friday. We took it. We ended up taking six, six tractor trailers down, down south, about 25 teams. But that's not, that's not the, the real miracle. The real miracle is it started a conversation. We should start an organization that shows compassion because people in New England, I fairly found out, love to do compassion. And so we decided it was two or three of us that were talking. Let's start an organization. I remember wrestling with the name. and I remember talking to them, what should we call it? And we were going to call it New England Compassion, but then that was NEC. And we knew that's the call letters to, or the identification for the TV station. So we don't want to confuse. So we called it Compassion New England. Because we said, there's an opportunity to do good in the world. And we're just going to see what happens. We, tell you, we had the tiny little thrift store. Now, let me show you. Some of you don't know. Now, I stand here today. We have, I don't know. We always argue about square footage. <laughs> we have at least 70,000 square feet of thrift store today. We have seven or eight, that number changes, programs that minister to the marginalized and the needy in our community. You know why? Because I made a phone call. I made one phone call. You say, I'm not taking credit for Compassion New England. That's not, that's not, that's not I'm not taking credit. I, I'm, not, I'm not carrying the load. I'm not, uh, people, my wife and, and uh, Christy and all kinds of other people, are, uh, Megan, uh, they're carrying, they're the heavy lifters right now. So I'm not taking credit for it. Only thing I take credit for is I was the catalyst. I put in motion the divine power of God by making a stupid phone call. That's all you have to do. Some of you today, your life would change if you would just walk across the room. If you would just walk across the room. If you would just say what you think sometimes. If you would just say something, if you would just apologize, if you would just say, I've been selfish, only thinking of myself, please forgive me. How many of you could say that physically? You could actually say those words. No, just a couple of you could say, I couldn't. I could never say that. I understand. You can change your life. You can change your family. You can change your marriage. You can change your church. You can change your community if you are willing to do little things that have huge Huge impact when God gets involved. We underestimate the power of answering a phone call. Some of you really need to do that one. Answer your phone. <laughs> Calling people back. Writing a note. Speaking truthfully instead of manipulatively. A literal pat on the back can go a long way. Say, I love you. Say, no. <laughs> Say, no. That's a powerful thing to do. Okay, let me, let, me, let me move to the last dimension of setting in motion the powerful laws of God that change the world. And that finally, I want to talk about the grasp of grace, perhaps the most important part of it. 
Let's, let's look at chapter 4, verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, Do not think because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you, now this is, I read the part of this earlier, but I want to read the rest of it to you now. But if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, uh, this is a very important sentence here. If you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, but you've come to the royal position for such a time as this. Here's what Mordecai was saying. He was saying to Esther, God's grace has given you your royal position. To prove it, if you don't step up, God will give it to somebody else. Because it is a gift of grace. It is unmerited. And I want to say that to every one of you. Your royal position in life. And most likely... If you're in this auditorium this morning, compared to the rest of the world, and compared to how the world was like 150 years ago, you are living somewhat like royalty. You have a royal position. And we tend to think our, our intelligence, our attractiveness, our ancestry, our upbringing, our natural aptitudes are what got us here. Well, that's partly true. But here's what's not true. You didn't create your attractiveness, your intelligence, your ancestry, your upbringing, your natural aptitudes. They were unearned and undeserved. The IQ that you have, you didn't earn it and you didn't create it. It was given to you by the Creator. Mordecai was not asking Esther to feel guilty. (laughs) He was not asking her to feel guilty because of her privilege. He was asking her to feel grateful. And there's a difference. I'm not asking you to feel guilty for whatever amount of success you have out there. I'm asking you to feel grateful. And when you're grateful, you're going to want to be a conduit of grace. You're going to want to be a channel of grace to the people around you if you feel grateful. By grace, now let me give you another dimension of grace. By grace, your call to stand up and speak is an act of mercy to keep you from perishing. Notice, Mordecai said, you're going to perish if you... If you don't do this, you, will, you don't think you won't perish. Now, now what, what do we mean by this? Well, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, the only, way we can, only things we can keep are the things we freely give to God. What we try to keep for ourselves is just what we're sure to lose. And I want to say this to you, those, those you blessed people out there, you blessed Americans, if your identity or royal position or your place in your career or community has taken over your life and it's the most important thing to you and you're hanging on to it and you have nothing more important, you are already perishing. You are possessed and there's no you left. Your palace has become your prison. In the story of Lazarus and the rich man, 
The term Lazarus and the rich man were literary devices. I read someone said this. I, I, I would never be able to think of this, anything this complex. Somebody else said this. They were literary devices. Notice that Lazarus had a name. He had an identity. The rich man didn't have a name. No, he did. His name was Rich Man. In other words, he had lost himself in his wealth, in his riches. He had lost his identity in his blessings. He had lost his identity in his privilege. And that's what he, Mordecai was saying to Esther. Don't lose your identity. Don't lose yourself in your privilege. Don't lose yourself in your identity. You must be willing to say, I will perish if necessary. It's more important that you kill me than that I become a prisoner to this position. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Am I, am I, am I clear? <laughs> I want to make sure. Make a note. Now, this is incredible. This is so incredible. I got this from Tim Keller, so I want to give him credit. He's so much brighter than I am. The Esther we know from chapter 1 and 2 begin to go away. Now, now you've got to read it for yourself. Just take my word for it this morning, though. Just take my word if you haven't read it already. The Esther from 1 and 2 that was going along to get along, that Esther disappeared and what emerged in chapter 5, 6, and 7, she started giving orders. She started acting bold. She started saying, let's do this, let's do this. She began to be an administrator almost. In fact, here's an interesting thing, that the word queen, she's only called queen one time before chapter 4, but after chapter 4, she's called queen 13 times. Because she was willing to say, if I perish, I perish. The laws of God the laws of God went into to play and elevated her to more authority than she ever had before. God may have something really great in store for you and your timidity and your fear is keeping you from stepping into it. Want to perish in the palace? Just make the palace your whole identity. Want to flourish in the palace? Start living for the people and the purposes that are outside the palace. Did you hear what I said? You want, to, you want to perish in the palace? Just make the palace your whole identity. Just make your work your whole identity. You want to flourish in the palace? Start living for the people and the, and the purposes that are outside the palace. Amen? Hallelujah. In a kind and winsome way, start letting people know you're a Christian. Start supporting the work of God as you are led to do, and so many of you already do, by the way. Thank you. Start some initiative from your work to pick up an important biblical justice cause in the world to help people who cannot help themselves. Now, finally, I want to say this. Maybe the most important point of all today. By grace, supernatural forces are put into play that you could never have planned. Esther 6.1, that night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of the reign, to be brought in and read. And it was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition, he asked, has Mordecai received for this? The king asked, nothing has been, the king asked, I should have said, nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. I wish I had time to tell that part of the story, but we don't. But you see what the supernatural thing that happened was Mordecai couldn't sleep. Now, who did that? 
It was God that did that. It was God that woke him up and said, go check your files. And he goes and checks his files and he finds that Mordecai had saved him from a plot to kill him. And Haman was the guy, and the story is Haman, you know, Esther invites Haman to dinner, and his world came crashing in, not because of what Esther and Mordecai did alone, but they were the catalyst. Because they stepped up and were brave, it was a catalyst, and it released God to do what only God could do. Amazing, amazing. Let me just give you a little verse here. It's not it's going to go up on the wall, but it's Psalms 50, 15. Look, then call on me, God says, when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. <laughs> if you get this right, you're going to give God the glory. Okay? I, I, let, let me end by talking about this aspect of grace. By grace, place the entire weight of your life on the one who gave up his royal position and his place in the palace to give you life eternally. Now, Esther said, if I perish, I perish. But if you really want to live a brave life, you need to identify with the bravest man who ever lived. You need to identify with the man who didn't, Jesus didn't say, if I perish, I perish. Jesus said, when I perish. He made atonement for our sins. And he procured atonement and redemption for us. You need Jesus in your life to truly be the brave person that you need to be. I want to I share this. As some of you know, I've, I've been watching a lot of this guy, Jordan Peterson's biblical lectures. And I love the way Jordan Peterson lays out biblical stories and the way he explores biblical text. He views the Bible and biblical texts as what they call archetypal stories that reveal truth that is embedded in human consciousness and guides for bringing order out of the universe. One of his favorite things to talk about is following Jesus up the hill to die on the cross and therefore redeeming humanity. And he talks about that we need to follow Jesus up the hill and die for the good of others, uh, uh, metaphorically, not literally necessarily, but if necessary, we die literally. He calls it, he's got this, he's got this lecture I, I've enjoyed called The Psychology of Redemption. And, and by the way, it's a very valid way of looking at the crucifixion. Very valid. Very important. A, lo a lot of Christians don't understand how to, look, how to live in the biblical stories. And it's a powerful thing. It's a, such a powerful thing if you start to learn to live in the biblical stories. But here's the problem with what Jordan Peterson does. He doesn't go far enough. Because I don't just need an example. I need a savior. I said, I don't just need an example. I don't just need an archetypal example that shows me how to do this. I need a savior who dies for me. Because I'm going to keep trying to go up the mountain, but I'm going to fall sometimes. I'm going to stumble trying to go up there to the pinnacle of being perfectly like Christ. Some days I'm not even going to make the climb. I'm going to run the other way. I need to know that my salvation is firmly established 
not in my ability to be brave. Because that's going to be a hit and miss affair for the rest of my life. <laughs> my salvation needs to be rooted in the Christ who was always brave and faced the devil head on for me. Amen? I need a sin bearer. So important. My family, you know, my family knows some of my darkest moments. They know my sins. They need a scapegoat to put dad's sins on. And I can't be the scapegoat. I can't handle it. It will crush me. And I, I, I will never pay the price good enough that there will be peace in the family if I have to pay the price for my sins. I can never, I can never pay that enough. But the Bible says, oh, this is so powerful. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now that brings social, it brings psychological, spiritual, and social peace when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's the most powerful act of bravery ever. Now, I want to conclude with this. We're going to invite you to come forward for prayer. We don't have our prayer partners today, but we're going to have communion today. Uh, I was uh, having coffee with Jack Easterby the other day. And one of the reasons I met with him is, as some of you know, he's a character coach for the New England Patriots and chaplain. And I wanted to know, I went with this question. I said, Jack, I want to know your strategy for discipling people. What is your strategy? And he, he has like, like 30 to 35 players come to chapel every week. And I know he cares deeply about discipleship. And I said, I want to know what your strategy is. for discipleship. And I thought he was going to give me, most pastors that I asked that question, they give me four steps. Four things that we get people to do to, to disciple. Disciple means to teach you how to be a Christian. And so I thought he was going to do that. He, he just stopped for a minute. And he thought. He didn't say anything for a little while. I just sat there. He said, oh, here's what I do. I try to find out what their next step is. I asked him, what is your next step? And he was telling me a high-profile player who came to him the other day and said, that's one of the most important questions anybody ever asked me is what is my next step? So today, I want to ask you, in this matter of courage and bravery. Now, some of you, you don't need to do anything right now. You don't have any big next step. But somebody I'm talking to today has a big next step that you need to take. It's going to be a conversation. It's going to be an initiation. It's going to be a move forward somewhere in your life, and it's going to take courage. I want you to come and pray about that today. I'm going to pray. And when I try to pray, our Front's open, our building's open. This is called response time at Bethany if you're new to us. And these are our communion stations. You serve yourself communion here. So come, serve yourself communion. Let's enter into response time before we go have a great Memorial Day weekend, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that you have given us the example of Christ who shows us how to walk this journey. And there's somebody here today, there's some, some, several somebodies here today who need to take a next step. It's going to be a phone call. It's going to be a gesture of affection. It's going to be a, an apology. It's going to be taking care of something that's going to take courage to do.
God, reveal to them what it is. Show them how to do it. Show them you are with them. Even when they don't feel you there, you're with them. Even Esther, as far as we know, did not feel the presence of God. There's no mention of you in that story. But you were with her. You are absolutely working in her behalf. So I pray for those people today who need to make that next step in their life. And I pray for every one of us that we will live a little bit more bravely, that we'll just be at least 5% more fearless than we were before we heard the sermon today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, let's enter into response time.